You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everyone. From target to message to media, America's next president has shown the world how marketing gets done. Donald Trump has been insufficiently marketed to most IR Magazine readers. An online poll shows only 20% want him as president. But we all paid attention. Spellbound by the spectacle of a wildly successful communication strategy where words meant exactly what you wanted them to. Which leaves us at today, with little clue how rhetoric will translate into policy. Or if the Trump tone, already gilding daily interpersonal communications, might seep into shareholder communications. It would be interesting to see how how a CEO taking a tough question from an analyst that's been critical of their business over a period of time may turn the table on them and give a more biting response than he or she had historically given. Coming up, KCSA Strategic Communications' Jeffrey Goldberger and his take on Donald Trump and the future of investor communications. And corporate sustainability reporting. With the Trump administration, it might be a fair wager that issues around things like regulations and corporate reporting might be put on the back burner. But the booming growth in ESG indices proves it still matters to investors. In our latest webinar, IR Magazine and Bloomberg team up to explore the future of sustainable investment. And the flip side is, you know, investors are still going to be filing proxy resolutions, pushing this, you know, so even if you don't necessarily see requirements out of the SEC, U.S. to do it, you're still going to see investors asking for this information. And I think it'll just behoove companies to, to be more transparent around these issues. We'll have webinar highlights after the news. There's big change on the horizon for financial regulations in both the U.S. and the U.K., but each country seems headed in opposite directions. In the U.S., the president-elect has promised to terminate all new financial regulations and repeal the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Act. But we have to get rid of a lot of the rules, regulate. We have to let bankers, legitimate people, go back to being bankers. You want to build a business, you have to be able to borrow money, and we're going to put you back in that position. We have to get rid of Dodd-Frank. But while the U.S. seeks to streamline... The UK's financial firm regulator wants to tighten oversight on the fund management industry. The Financial Conduct Authority wants investment companies to overhaul their pricing structures and make it easier for investors to compare performance. An FCA study found significant price clustering in the industry, and it said investors often pay charges out of whack with returns. The FCA has also turned the spotlight on the investment consultants that advise UK pension funds, It says firms such as Mercer, Aon Hewitt, and Wallace Towers Watson work under potential conflicts of interest and don't always spot good fund managers. The FCA is considering referring the affair to the UK's Competition and Markets Authority for investigation. Also in the UK, affirmative action. 60 big financial firms signed a pledge to put women in almost a third of senior roles within five years. The announcement comes as part of a government-backed drive to boost their ranks in the industry. And finally, 
IROs say that when it comes to hosting the most impressive roadshows, nobody does it better than J.P. Morgan Chase. According to the IR Magazine Global Roadshow Report 2016, the New York City-based multinational moved up to the top spot from last year's second-place position. Other favorites include Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Barclays Capital, Citi, Royal Bank of Canada, and HSBC. We've seen a, a big cre- increase in investors focused on ESG. And actually, the latest data that just came out from the U.S. Sustainable Investment Forum, it's 22% of assets under management in the U.S. have a sustainability lens. Um, the numbers in Australia, the way they now calculate, it's around half of assets under management. Japan has increased. You know, so there's definitely this trend to greater focus, integration of, of ESG. What that actually means in practice is, is a different story, because I think that really ranges by company, um, by investor. So it's really important for companies to understand you know, what the issues are in their sector and how they can respond to investor needs. Greg Elders has been calculating environmental, social, and corporate governance risks for more than a decade. Now, as senior Bloomberg Intelligence ESG analyst, he specializes in helping investors quantify potential earnings impacts from fossil fuel-stranded assets. Elder says carbon remains today's hottest disclosure topic. And so one of the things that we can, we can definitely see is, you know, a big focus on carbon reporting. So in the UK, to mention that's required for companies report emissions, we see basically every company reports data. Um, you know, so, so rules really matter. In Europe, greater focus. And I think that sort of feeds in itself. Sort of there's greater investor demand. There's greater um, corporate response providing information. And as we go down, sort of U.S., Canada in the middle in terms of carbon reporting and emerging markets uh, more to the end where these issues aren't necessarily as in high demand by investors. But one of the things is rules are changing there as well. So in Hong Kong, the exchange, um, new rules are coming into effect the next couple of years in terms of ESG reporting. And so actually any Chinese company listed in Hong Kong will have to comply or explain in terms of reporting ESG data. So it's really this trend in terms of pushing companies to provide more disclosure. And the fact is, more companies are pushing back. Manjit Jus is head of applications and operations at sustainable investment specialist Robico Sam. Jus sees more and more IR departments actively spreading the ESG message and embedding it into their overall business story. If I look back kind of five years ago and saw kind of who were the main kind of contacts that, you know, companies that we engaged with, uh, you know, on topics like our corporate sustainability assessment or the index, it was generally someone sitting in kind of a sustainability slash CSR team. And now more and more, um, it's actually people in investor relations uh, that play this very important role, I think, within the company uh, about kind of coordinating sustainability efforts and making sure that, you know, various stakeholders are receiving the information uh, they receive. So I think that's been quite an interesting uh, development to observe. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, we see a lot of companies and I would say kind of best in class companies that we've identified, they have really engaged uh, investor relation teams. So they don't wait for investors to ask them about sustainability. They just make sure that it's part of 
everything they're presenting. So, you know, recently, for example, I was watching uh, Swiss Re's uh, quarterly um, uh, presentation done by their CFO and kind of sustainability had, uh, you know, all kinds of mentions just because it was kind of part of their strategy discussion. I know, uh, for example, at BMW, they have dedicated people in their investor relations team uh, that, that have a sustainability role, but they're not necessarily just on their kind of sustainability roadshows. They're taken along on any roadshow that the company does and kind of maybe, you know, in order to answer questions that people might have, but also I think a little bit to kind of force feed some of the sustainability information uh, to the more traditional analysts uh, sitting in the room. You can listen to the complete webinar at irmagazine.com. Click on See All Events, then Past Events. It's been a long time since I've seen the high planes of expectation. And I'm way past the lowlands and the deserts of failure and doubt. And the last time I passed through satisfaction, I didn't recognize a single soul there. Now, at, we're early days with with Mr. Trump as he as he builds out his platform for for his, his governance package, if you would, for a, across many areas. But when I think about what might happen in the public company sector, I think about Sarbanes Oxley in particular. Um, the idea that he's going to take a pro business stance, meaning they, that he'll likely put. Um, more control back in the hands of companies, uh, reduce the, the, the governing rules that are currently in place. Um, it could take a lot of different directions. It could be everything from uh, reducing disclosure um, from from CEOs and CFOs having uh, having to sign off on the on the veracity of the of the the financial filings. Listen, I think everything's on the table. Everything is on the table. Trump's dark horse election victory will almost certainly shift the tone and priorities of the country's financial culture. Betting on exactly how and exactly what the resulting effect on investor communications will be seems stacked for the House. But IR Magazine asked small-cap IR specialist Jeffrey Goldberger to roll the dice anyway. And you can read his report at irmagazine.com. I wanted some deets. Jeff spoke from his New York City office. From a disclosure perspective, I think some of the the reins are going to be loosened. I don't think we're going to go back to uh, a repealing of uh, Reg FD, because I certainly believe that would be detriment to shareholders. It's in particular, the retail investor who would uh, likely not benefit and probably disadvantage from lack of uh, access to information, and the institutions would would probably love it, but I, I just don't see that going too far. Goldberger's bread and butter is in the microcap space, and for him, Sarbanes-Oxley, a response to corporate and accounting scandals like Enron and WorldCom, is where the action is. He says tweaks here could be a shot in the arm for the investor relations industry. Fewer companies would delist from exchanges, or even more would consider a public offering. I think Sardane's Oxley, I think one of the Achilles heels that it had out of the gate was 
that it was one size fits all, um, and that became a real difficult uh, position in particular for smaller companies that had smaller budgets uh, from a cl- compliance perspective. Um, they have pulled back some of the, uh, the, the regulations to make it a little bit easier for, for smaller companies to, to, to manage budgets, to be in compliance. But I think if some of those rules are pulled back even further, that there's an opportunity to see more companies go the public company route as opposed to either remaining uh, a standalone company or, or selling out to private equity because private equity has been sitting at the sidelines flush with cash and companies have an opportunity to cash out uh, in, in a, a single transaction transaction as opposed to uh, testing the waters and going out as a public company. I wondered if less disclosure might affect investor confidence. Listen, I, I think investor confidence has strengthened over the last number of years with Sarbanes-Oxley. I think accountability has been put in place. Um, checks and balances have been put in place. I think there could be a little degradation of, uh, of investor confidence should some of these rules uh, be peeled back a little bit. The, the, the individual investor has always been at a disadvantage. And I think the evening of the playing field has been good for them. And I think if they feel that they don't have either the access, same level of access and, and access to the same level of disclosure, it, it could be a negative. I, I don't see people going and pulling money out because I don't think most people are investing in individual stocks anymore. I think they're going through indexes and ETFs and the like. So I, I think that wouldn't change much, but certainly there would be maybe a, a little bit like uh, a little less confidence in, in uh, what people are putting forth. Transparency has never been a Trump forte. Goldberger wonders if the toot will spread to the C-suite. He's talked about uh, during his election, he talked about that he was going to exit all of his businesses. And now he's saying that he's likely not going to exit his businesses. So the idea of disclosure is not very strong for them. So if, if people, if, if, if people say he's going to pull through to what goes on in terms of public companies and their disclosure, there is an opportunity for companies that want to uh, reduce the level of disclosure that they offer through uh, press releases, earnings calls, guidance. I, I think there's a likely, uh, opportunity that, that people are going to take advantage of it. All of which leaves investor relations officers, sworn defenders of disclosure, as the frontline force for pushback. I've been in this business for 20 years, and I would say it took a decade in for for investor relations to be viewed as a must-have as opposed to a nice-to-have, having a seat at the table. I think the investor relations community has worked very hard to have that seat at the, at the table. And I don't think their position will change that disclosure is, a, uh, is important to building strong uh, relationships with the investor community. And if you were to change that, then you put yourself uh, in a very difficult position. In addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, I won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally. Trump selected two primary media to create presidential-grade brand awareness live events, and Twitter. Trump has done a, a fantastic job of using Twitter as a way to get to the masses, in particular CEOs or chief marketing officers or IROs have an opportunity to do the same. 
tweeting may not lift the average CEO to preside over an $18 trillion economy. But there's growing research it can still be an incredibly effective tool in the right hands. Brooke Elliott is a professor of accounting at the University of Illinois. Her research shows that tweets from the C-suite can produce remarkably trusting relationships with investors, and they can be especially powerful when it comes to disclosing negative news. If you have bad news, then the CEO should tweet about the bad news from his personal account, and, and you can mitigate the negative reaction to the news. Here's how it works. Typically, I think an investor feels fairly disconnected from the CEO. Like they never personally meet the CEO. They don't get to personally communicate with the CEO. But social media bridges that gap. I mean, it's not quite the same as having a face-to-face interaction, but it gets very close to at least investor feels, you know, as if they have this more personal interaction with the CEO. And based on theory and research in psychology, we know that whenever you have that personal interaction, you develop a more enduring form of trust. Twitter medium actually allows you to have an almost face-to-face interaction. The direct personal bond created by Trump's sometimes troubling tweets effectively galvanized supporters. But what if their mark on public discourse? Jeff Goldberger. People's overall tone in in which they are communicating with each other is more communicating at each other as opposed to listening. And and I and I hope that that as the dust settles around the election that 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 will change. But should it not change, you know, you might see a change in the way that CEOs and CFOs uh, handle communications, uh, in particular on conference calls or Q and A sessions at conferences. They may not be as political as, as they used to be. They may actually tell you what they think. So it may, may cause some friction with the investment community that they may follow suit. IROs might have to become like surrogates, picking up the pieces of something that their boss said that they had nothing to do with. Oh, I think it could be a nightmare. That's all for this week's Ticker Podcast. Join IR Magazine online again this Thursday, December 1st. LinkedIn's Director of Investor Education, Matt Danziger, and Q4 Inc.'s Adam Frederick answer your questions about stock surveillance. You can sign up at irmagazine.com or Bright Talk. Also on Thursday, the IR Magazine Awards and Conference Southeast Asia. That's in Bangkok and produced in association with the Stock Exchange of Thailand. The very next week, the IR Magazine Awards and Conference Greater China gets underway in Hong Kong. It's December 6th and sponsored by City. Thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.